Hello and welcome to another episode of the Rabona Podcast. Hi everyone, once again I'm Moose Wakwonga, joined by Ryan Hun and remotely joined by Michael De Silva. Ryan, hi. Hi mate. Once again, Michael's left us unsupervised. He's not indisposed. <laughs> He's not indisposed. We're in the Rabona Towers, we're here to discuss defining games. This has been a weekend where we've seen matches which are bigger than the results on the actual night. So for example, Manchester Derby, Der Classico, Bayern Dortmund, the Super Classico, Boca River Plate and other such matches. Let's jump straight in with the Manchester Derby. Ryan, what did you make of it? Um, what did I make of it? <laughs> it was kind of um, surprising, not surprising. First 10 minutes, I thought Man United were going to be in big, big trouble when City got the goal. I think at that up to that point, they'd had 109 passes and Manchester United had had 19. And um, the goal had been coming, I thought. And when the goal did come... It very much felt like it was going to be the first of two or three in the first half. I don't know what you thought, but um, I thought United actually managed to go in at 1-0 at half time for them was pretty good. Pretty good, yeah. That's the problem with United against City. These games now are just damage limitation, especially when you have a player like Pogba missing. Paul Pogba missing, you know, out through injury and all of a sudden everyone just says the creativity has gone. Because if you look at City, and this is the big problem for United, I think, the enduring problem. City have four or five players who are capable of controlling the tempo of a match. So they have De Bruyne, who was obviously out, thank goodness, us. Phil Foden, who's coming through. They have Gundogan, they have Bernardo Silva and David Silva. These players can all run a game. If one of those players is out, someone else steps in. Pogba's out, and Pogba is inconsistent, unfortunately, even in big matches, especially big matches, actually, inconsistent. Then United are really in trouble. And the problem I have with United at the moment is we are just good enough to scrape by. We're just good enough to keep Mourinho in a job. We're scoring just enough. If you don't watch the games, and I assume that the Glazers don't watch the games, which is why Mourinho always has these great sound bites. I think Mourinho's basically realised, ah, if the Glazers don't like football and they just look at the results, they'll be like, oh, they're beating quite narrowly. There's improvement. And if I just make some clever sound bites and have Martial keep scoring, then it's going to be fine. But it's the reality is grim. Yeah, I think, I think Pogba was a big mess yesterday. I was qu- really surprised that... Matter didn't start because I thought it would have been the game where, I mean, you've seen how much of an impact he's had recently when he's been starting games centrally, actually against Chelsea, for example, I thought he right. was Manchester United's best player. Um, maybe, I mean, Martial got both goals. Um, I thought that Matter starting centrally as a number 10 really helped glue United together a little bit because they've got really, really good parts, United. They're just really lacking that kind of cohesion. Matter's one of United's only midfielders who can really keep the ball moving quick. So I was quite surprised that in the game like yesterday, when whenever they did have the ball, you would imagine pre-game, they were going to have to really look after it. I was quite surprised that there was a lack of uh, any real ball-playing midfielder in that side. Can I be honest with you? Go on. If you look at United, if Guardiola took charge of that team tomorrow, do you not think he'd do? I think he'd play a midfield three of Pogba, Matter, and Fred. Mm-hmm. And I think he'd have them playing all... You know, pass and move, one, two, touch. I mean, seriously, a midfield three of those three, incredibly mobile, technically gifted. You know, matters not the quickest, of course, but they can all play combination play. They can have defensive discipline, you know, screening players at very least, something like matter. And I just think that Mourinho has been very successful as Honigstein, uh, Raphael Honigstein tweeted the other day, his greatest achievement in the last few weeks is convincing Manchester United supporters that he could do no better with this squad. Yeah, I saw that. I thought that was... Uh... 
You're paying Alexis Sanchez half a million pounds a week. Half a million pounds a week. And that's, and he's not even a starter in that team. Mm. You know, United, um, United, the defending for the final goal was so interesting with City because they failed to anticipate where the ball was going and they never pressed as a pack. If you look at the pressing for that, they're all pressing in isolation. Lukaku works really, really hard. But, you know, you're meant to press a combination two or three people. That's the whole point of it. But they don't know where to go. So by the time the ball's played in by Bernardo Silva, you've got four or five United players drawn towards the ball. But there's no sense of, there's no one organising it, you know, yeah. there's no one organising it, which is a real indictment to Mourinho. Yeah, I mean, on the German commentary, when that third goal went in, they literally just said, it's like adults playing kids. They've been caught like that a few times United recently. And this is the thing that I find really confusing about Mourinho is that usually if they aren't free-flowing in attack, they're pretty steady at the back, you know, and they can shut games down. They're not in either camp at the moment. And I don't want to turn this into Mourinho bashing because I think that's too easy. It's way too easy now. And he makes it easy for people to do that, I must add. But I don't necessarily think he is completely like washed, right? But I don't see um, much changing at Man United. Like you said, I think last week, you don't see much changing whilst he's still there. And that's not, that's not to say that he's a terrible manager or anything because I know that there's a real partisan thing for Mourinho to stay for some people it's kind of like it's turning a little bit into Wenger in Wenger out kind of stuff um they seem to need some freshness in terms of ideas and and you saw that with uh with Wenger in his later reign I mean it was very different he was there for 20 odd years Mourinho's been there three I don't see how United really click into gear or achieve anything other than maybe a little bit of a short-term run of form whilst this situation goes on and that's a shame because you know last season when they finished second as a neutral you know you want Manchester United to be back in the conversation and you want you want them challenging you know I mean they're a huge club and you know I used to live very very close to Manchester United which was horrible as an Arsenal fan but, <laughs> but also you know whenever you without kind of getting too romantic about the thing whenever you go past Old Trafford even as a as not as a United fan you realize how how kind of important, not important, but you know, how special that is. It's like going past the Bernabeu or right, something, right. you know, when you go past Old it's Trafford. An it's like a, it's a it's, great institution. Yeah. And I just feel quite sad that in, in a Manchester derby, it was very much like damage lim limitation. You can right. tell from the outset. And, and like I said, when they went in one nil down at half time, I was like, actually, I'd take that, especially after that first 10 minutes That's going awful. in one nil down, you'd take that. And, 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 there was a cool stat that went around that said that the last time City lost a game when they were 1-0 up was the derby last year when Man United beat them at the Etihad. And when United got the goal back, there was part of me that thought, I reckon they might go on and win this. But then there wasn't the reaction that you'd kind of, you'd but expect not, or you hope. The thing is, Ryan, this is the problem. We're just, and the, the thing about Mourinho not being washed, Mourinho has been very clever creating that same dialogue. He's been very clever creating that dialogue where Oh, everyone's saying I'm terrible just because I shouldn't be in this job. If I totally, if I drank the Kool-Aid, am yeah, I... A little, a little bit. <laughs> Mourinho's created a sense of, oh my goodness, everyone's saying I'm finished. Well, no, you just shouldn't be in this job. I don't think he should be Manchester United manager, but I don't think he's done. Like, I don't think he's done as, 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 a, as, a, as a manager, for example. I don't think he's, he, uh, he possesses the skill set anymore, anymore to really, really manage at the very, very, very top elite level because I just think that he's doubled down on, on methods and stuff that I think are a little bit outdated. But that doesn't mean that he's completely 
gone. You know, he's not going to go and get the Barcelona job, or he's not going to go and get the Bayern, Bayern Munich job. Well, the weird thing about rail is the, ra- the link with the rail job is weird. Yeah, but that's a weird. It's a weird thing. It's always been weird. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know. But yeah, that's what I mean by that. I don't think that he should be Manchester United manager, and I didn't think he should have been Manchester United manager when he got the job. Um, but I don't think he's completely done. You know, that's my point. I, yeah, no, that's a fair point. I just think you know, I think he's. Um... I think he should go. I've written this before for ESPN. Um, I think he should go. I think he's not the right person. But um, let's give City credit. Let's also, just before we give them credit, asterisk the fact that, you know, the Football League's controversy uh, and the vast resources at their disposal. Um, and we'll, we'll, we've had that conversation last week, but we just need to flag it up because, you know, re- City do have extraordinary resources they're bringing to bear, but so do United. So I think a lot of United fans are saying, Ah, oh, but City have been breaking rules left, right, centre. Well, frankly, we have a fifty million pound midfielder, Fred, who you know is not a factor at the weekend. So we have to look to ourselves. I want to give credit to David Silva because he was amazing. Bernardo Silva, who's terrifying because he's been such a great replacement for Kevin De Bruyne, and it just feels like with City, it's interchangeable with them. They can bring players in and take them out, and they just keep on rolling. Yeah, there was one point midway through the first half when I, I'd completely forgot that De Bruyne was injured, and uh, that scared me quite a bit. Realizing that how good City were when he's not there still, and Sane was on the bench, yeah, um, standing playmaker and winger of the last season, <laughs> and Gundogan was on the bench, and you know, anyway, it's kind of terrifying. But it's, I mean, like you said before, with the FFP stuff, it's kind of what happens. You can stockpile all these players, but. One thing I would say about the games this weekend, there's been a lot of stuff that's come out over the last couple of weeks, which has been really depressing. I actually wrote a piece that might be going up soon that's not a comedy. You've read it, you know. <laughs> um, but there were so many amazing games this weekend. I right, thought it was right. actually like a really nice, um, maybe not distraction, but, you know, kind of like... Um, it reminds us what we're here for. It remind, yeah, it reminds yeah. us what we're all here for. And uh, looping that back round to... I want to give Bernardo Silva a shout because he was my man of the match at the weekend. He's such a team player. You know, he's moved from being a, I think he played more centrally at Monaco, right? And then he's kind of playing predominantly wider for Manchester City. But I mean, they let them, they let them roam, don't they? One thing that's really interesting about him is how his defensive work kind of gets overlooked a little bit for such a technically gifted playmaker. I think what he contributes defensively is really, really good. And you saw that yesterday. He's in the mould of Deco, actually, isn't he, in Portuguese? Yeah. yeah Deco is like an all-round player who actually was very tough, didn't really care about who was in the stats sheet, and just was so good at hammering the ball between the lines. If you look at the build-up to City's uh, third goal, there's this amazing pass that Bernardo plays early in the move. Down the wing, I think, to Mares, he just hammers this ball, like a 20-yard ball, but there's a narrow gap, it's like a five-yard gap between two players down to the wing. And of course, drives that ball. I mean, the assist for the goal, he, he put a lot of hot sauce on that. Like Gundogan's first touch to control that in the box is pretty awesome because yeah. Bernard, he really, he cooked that. He really cooked that. Um, yeah. And so, on the first goal as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, 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 the pass for that first goal for me was uh, the Sterling pass. Oh. I just, I don't understand why Raheem Sterling gets so much stick. I just think he's, a, he's an amazing footballer. He seems like a pretty amazing kid. Seems like a pretty amazing role model. To yeah, be honest, yeah. you never really see him getting into too much trouble. Bought his mum a house. Yeah, all that stuff in the week about the penalty and he got kind of savaged in the news about it, which I thought was just weird. It's, it's weird. I will say this, that what's impressive about City is, you know, Sterling and Bernardo Silva and 
I'm Eric Laporte and John Stones. This is a young team and they're going to be a factor long after Guardiola's gone. Uh, you know, they're going to be a factor for the next five, 10, whatever. They're, they're just, they're a permanent fixture now, I think, in that, in that elite bracket now. Yeah, it feels like the Guardiola appointment has moved them up a level um, to the point that now um, that squad's been coached in such a different way that I think that it's made other elite level managers possible to come in there and succeed more so. But saying that, they succeeded before. I mean, Pellegrini was successful there. Um, Mancini was Mancini great. was successful there. Ferguson was scared of Mancini, actually. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, for any United fans listening to this podcast, let me qualify. Ferguson was deeply, deeply concerned uh, and worried <laughs> by Mancini because after the 6-1 victory, I think that was when Sir Alex Ferguson was really like, yeah, for real. Yeah, we're in trouble here. And Mancini's hair is so good that, I mean, it's intimidating hair. It is. When a man that age has got hair that good, I'd, I'd be scared. I, I, I agree with that. Talking of um, great matches. I thought you were going to say great hair then. <laughs> I've got no hair. Sorry, for those, for listeners of the podcast, Ryan is making a dick at the fact that my hair fell out when I was, well, not fell out, but... I did say that. Well, you were going there. Look, okay, so Mike, just to explain the audience... Um, I'm from the north of Uganda. My family's north of Uganda. And the men in my family lose most of their hair by the age of 30. It just kind of recedes and falls out. Um, so I'm very bald. I've been bald for about 10 years now. Thank you, Ryan, for the reminder. Um, well, I can't grow a proper beard. So you and Michael are the bald two of the three on the podcast. But you guys have better beards. So it's, you know, oh dear. win so, yeah, some, you lose some. Two, two bald men on the podcast. Um, and one who can't grow a beard. The bald cast. So, right. So moving on, talking of squads with brilliant young players who are doing exciting things, Borussia Dortmund. Yes. And we're going to be joined, aren't we, by Michael DeSilva. Should we get him on the phone? Let's get him on the phone. <laughs> Michael, great to have you. Great to have you with us. Hey. You're late. <laughs> <laughs> so a great game of the weekend, uh, the Classica, uh, Dortmund winning 3-2 against Bayern. What stood out f- for you in that match? Yeah, um, it was it was an exhilarating game of football. I mean, it's one of the best atmospheres I can remember really as uh, ever, ever being in the stadium for. I mean, as you know, I've been following Dortmund around for the past few games and I've yeah. seen them scored just once in the last two games against Wolfsburg, which they won. Um, but then they were really outplayed in Madrid by Atletico. And I was beginning to think whether the momentum was running out for Dortmund and, you know, whether perhaps whether I'd brought them some bad luck. <laughs> 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 but they were they were absolutely brilliant against Bayern. Bayern were, were one up, of course, then two one up. Um, but there's no holding back this Dortmund side. Um and, and what was evident really against against Bayern is that they're not perfect. They're, they're quite a long way off from being perfect. I mean, Zagadou, I think, is a player who's got great potential, but at times he was he was anxious and Lewandowski turned him like a few times. Sancho, you know, I, I love Sancho, but he was he looked also quite nervous. He wasn't really getting a kick against Alaba in the first half. Um, and of course, Alaba has such big game experience. Um, so it was, it was tricky at times for them, but you know, what makes, what makes them so appealing, this Dortmund team is that they don't get down by their mistakes. They just keep going and they keep pouring forward in numbers and they have this, this youthful energy. It makes them, um, you know, for me, the most exciting team in Europe right now, but yeah, I mean, to be that effective in attack, but also equally effective in defense, 
Um, yeah, I mean, Lucy and Favre deserves so much, so much credit. But yeah, it was a stunning game of football, a kind of feverish atmosphere. Um, it was one of the best all- games I can remember. Actually, yes, yeah, like it was the best. I'm watching it. I was just, well, it's definitely the best classic I've seen for ages. And I just thought that, just as in any game, it was one of the best. It was one of the best games I've seen in years. That game, <laughs> it was, it was. And I was just thinking, is is it? is this just me or is this actually happening? Like it was an absolutely stunning game of football and um, Dortmund fans have waited a long, long time as well for this. I mean, since, since Klopp um, really. So that was 2012 to, for them to have the upper hand over Bayern. But yeah, as you say, the, the, the game itself was fantastic. The atmosphere was incredible. Can I say this as well, Michael, what was fascinating about Dortmund's goals, they scored three completely different types of goals. They scored a penalty. They scored from open play Royce with a brilliant half fall into the bottom corner and they scored on the break. And I just love teams that can hurt you in a variety of ways. And that's Dortmund. They've got this great range to their attack, it seems. Absolutely. So, they are so versatile. Um, and it's worth remembering as well that Lucien Favre didn't, this isn't necessarily his like go-to um, formation as such like at, when he was at Nice of course his previous job he had Balotelli a kind of physical forward like holding the ball up but at Dortmund he's come in and he's he's seen what tools he has at his dis- disposal and he is you know he's making the most of them and we've we've now got a team who are just so attacking on the wings um, they, they you know even the most experienced fullbacks like um like David Alibert, just had no answer for how they pour forward. But as you say, they can score in a multitude of ways, different ways. And yeah, they they really are quite um, quite something. I thought um, um, what was really interesting about the weekend actually was how Favre's substitutions really changed the game and how Kovac's really didn't. So for example, I thought even though before, before Bayern scored, I actually thought that first 10 minutes or so before there was that one-on-one chance that Royce had when he was through on goal that he hit straight at Neuer. I thought Dortmund were the better side, but then it seemed that Bayern really were probably, probably nicked it in the first half for being the better side. And then um, Weigl kind of struggled. Dahoud came on and that instantly changed the momentum for Dortmund, I thought in the second half. And then obviously Paco came on, scored and Delaney did really well when he came on. Whereas Kovac left Rodriguez on the bench, especially when he was chasing the game, brought Sanchez on and Wagner. But um, yeah, I thought what what you thought about that, because yeah, I thought that Favre basically just managed the game a lot better than Kovac did. Yeah, I mean, I think you said it all really. I think Kovac's um, substitutions were reactive, whereas Favre's were proactive. He recognised that there was a problem or an area where they could improve and he made the changes that were necessary at the right moment. So um, he, he made quite a brave call in bringing in Julian Weigel to start the game. He hadn't started um, for quite some time. And I actually thought it was a decent shout because, um, <clears throat> excuse me, he Weigel has a calmness on the ball and a surety, which Thomas Delaney doesn't always have. And I thought in this kind of big game, Dortmund need to keep the ball. But in fact, Weigel was was poor and he looked like the kind of player that hadn't played for for some time. Yeah. So or started the game for some time. So um Favre recognized that that, that needed to be changed. He he at, at half time he brought on Delaney. Um Dehoud, sorry. Uh, sorry, Dehoud. And then he 
uh, brought in Paco Alcacer, which we, well, he ended up um, scoring the winning goals. So yeah, he, Favre's substitutions were, were positive. Um, and ultimately I think they, they decided this game in Dortmund's favour. Can I say this as well? It's funny looking at Atletico Madrid and their recent performances, that loss by Dortmund in the Champions League is, is going to look actually not that bad over the course of the season because I actually look at that game as the turning of the tie for Atletico Madrid given their recent performances. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that game says more about Atletico kind of um, getting back to the level that they um, expect themselves to be at rather than um, anything that Dortmund did particularly particularly wrong. And you've got to remember as well that so many of their their players are so young and don't have experience, like Sancho playing at the the Metropolitano Stadium. I, I don't think he would have envisioned that um, a few short months ago. So, um, yeah, they they were outplayed in that game. And I was, I have to say, I did fear a little bit that things were starting to change for Dortmund, that that kind of free-scoring type of play we've seen from him in recent weeks was perhaps coming to an end and teams were learning how to, to handle them. But... Um, I think that's just proved to be a, a blip rather than um, anything to be too concerned about. I mean, Dortmund are now f- four points clear at the top of the Bundesliga, seven points clear of Bayern. I mean, Bayern are fifth now. It's 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 really crazy. For me, what you said there was like the most impressive thing about this. I thought that losing to Atletico in the week and then following it up with a, a Classico, I thought this is a massive test for them. You know, yeah. quite a young squad. And um, their first kind of semi-derailment, if you like, of the season so far. Um, and I was really impressed heading over to Sancho Corner, this week's Sancho <laughs> Corner. I thought I was really, really, really impressed with him second half because I thought that after what happened in the week mm. and he didn't have a great first half, he seemed to really struggle against Alaba. Yeah. But the second half, it would have been so easy for him just to completely go into himself Absolutely. And I thought the second half, he was really, really impressive and actually was really unlucky not to have another assist or two. I'd really like to know what um, Favre said to Sancho at halftime. It was, I I guess, something along the lines of just just run at him because Alaba on the back foot is not the same player as he is when he's pressing. And he got got really tight to, um, to Sancho in the first half, didn't let Sancho turn at all. And on the rare occasions that he did turn him, Ribery was there to hack him down. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, as you say, it was a, a complete, um, a complete different performance from Sancho in the second half. He was was totally uh, fearless and like you know Hummels when Hummels was faced against him, he just it was oh. no the hair. Oh, the t- yeah, it was it was it was embarrassing for Hummels at times. But Sancho, yeah, if, if um, Alcacer had taken his chance uh, before the one that he um, eventually scored from, then Sancho would have had an assist. And there was one funny moment where Sancho he he beat Hummels. <laughs> he, he was he was clean through. Then he just about squeezed across him, which it looked like he was going to run the ball out. But he stopped. He turned. He, uh, found Alcacer and then Alcacer missed then I think it was Brood Larson missed on the rebound and Sancho was just hitting the floor oh yeah he was rolling around and it was like it was yeah. the, it was like there was that was the first time actually in the game where it was like oh yeah he's just a kid still <laughs> it was like yeah. proper proper tantrum but I thought it was interesting he won the ball back and set the move off for the third goal as exactly. well yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah yeah it was great to see Sancho kind of bounce back from what had been 
an indifferent performance in Madrid um, and then a, a difficult first half against Bayern. Um, it shows, shows he's, he's got character, but also the mental fortitude to get over these kind of things. Yeah, we should say as well that um, there's a really good piece that Michael wrote up on the Rabona site about the game, which recommend to check with some amazing photos as well. Um, yeah. Check out myself as well. Go and read the read that I, piece from the boss. Can I say as well, actually, Michael, and this is a slightly tangential point, but I think it's related to Sancho and how he's doing. So yeah. as you've probably all read and heard, uh, our listeners, Usman Dembele is having a very tough time at Barcelona. And I think it's so interesting because, you know, Dembele has been missing from training and there's been disciplinary issues. But I think, Michael, part of that, and I was saying to Ryan before we came on today, I think a lot of that is, I think it's fear. Because if you look at Dortmund, it's such a supportive environment, right? And you have the resources there and you, you really do your thing. And Debele has gone from Dortmund to Bar- to Barca. Yeah. And the expectation is 24 hour. And if we look at Sancho, Sancho's made a big step up. He's gone from City, being like, you know, one of the best kids in the block to, to Dortmund. He's <laughs> handling that transition so well. Yeah. And... I look at Dembele and just think, I wonder if he looks back to Dortmund and thinks, oh man, like in a different universe, mm. could I have had this a year later? Or, you know what I mean? I, or I, may, I wish I'd been, I'm not saying he regrets being at Barca per se, but because he, he fought so hard to get the move. I yeah. wonder if there's an element of, goodness, I wish I'd just kind of given another year at Dortmund. Yeah, or, you know. I think you can certainly have too much too soon. And, you know, when I spoke to Sancho last week, he was very, um, very conscious to, to, um, to, to make clear that he's this is a process and that he's learning and that he's trying to get better every game and yeah of course Dembele is a different different person different personality altogether but I think that Sancho he, he signed a new deal with Dortmund until 2022 I believe and he I really hope he 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 goes the distance of that contract because it's it's you know as long as Lucien Favre sticks around, it's frightening what he could achieve at Dortmund. And you know if, the the big clubs will be will be hunting Sancho this um, well in January, but particularly next summer. Um, and it's going to take some strong resolve, not just from Dortmund, but from Sancho himself, not to make the same mistake that that Dembele has made. And it's not to say that Dembele's move will ultimately not be successful. He could easily turn it around. But as you say, things are not looking too promising for him there at the moment. Yep. To mention one thing about Kovac as well. I mean, I, I don't know what this result really means for him. He's very much Hernes's man, isn't he? Early Hernes's man. Mm. Um, and, well, I was interested to, to ask what you guys think about that, whether you think he should he should stay or whether he will stay. I think uh, Raphael Honigstein has ever broke it down so well in his piece for ESPN FC, he said that Dortmund have done Bayern a favour. They've exposed all the structural problems, you know, a slightly unbalanced squad, inexperienced manager, and in his words, you know, a weak sporting director. And these are problems that can all be put right. Now, these are sort of multiple problems. I think Kovac deserves more time simply because he's obviously a smart guy that raised Eintracht to a higher level. Yeah. Um, he is quite canny. And you're coaching as Lucien Favre. This is a smart dude. Like, you know, and, and the result wasn't, it wasn't a huge margin of the defeat. Bayern were leading for a certain period. And you could argue it's pretty impressive how he had inspired Kovac, a kind of mini revival the last couple of games. There have been a couple of weeks where Bayern have looked a little bit close to their old selves in patches. Yeah. Uh, there are there are issues, but I think that I think I don't I don't think that Kovac is the wrong part of the puzzle here, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think he's he's basically inherited a squad that is just really weird. 
I think. Right. It's for for a manager like Kovac to come in and do real um like do his work if you like for want of a better phrase. That squad just seemed a really odd fit from the beginning and I think you've seen it with the with how certain players have responded to him as a coach and also yeah. how they've been playing where it burrs like I think getting Kovac in and not giving him at least a season in order to create a little bit of turnover in the squad was just completely pointless because there's very obvious parts of that starting 11 and squad that need to be moved on I think yeah. right. and Absolutely. I think you saw it yesterday I thought Kimmich actually yesterday was probably the best best game I've seen him have in a Bayern shirt mm. especially first half and you know they've got like Sula coming through at centre back their top guys are old you know, apart from yeah. maybe Thiago, I think they need to move them on and give Kovac a bit of a run with the next, the next kind of like generation of guys underneath that. Definitely, and 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 what Hernes perhaps doesn't appreciate is that the longer he perseveres with Kovac, um, the more it exposes Hernes's own faults as a chairman um, rather than Kovac's. I mean, so many of, as you just did, pointed to Bayern's, you know. Um, lukewarm activity in the transfer window. I mean, they signed Leon Goretzka and Serge Gnabry when, as you said, half the team are over 30. And you've got Iron Robin and Frank Ribery in their mid-30s. They're clearly way past their peak. Um, and you look at City, Chelsea, um, Liverpool, PSG, um, Barcelona, all these teams, they strengthen when they're on top. And whether it's uh, complacency or arrogance or combination of both perhaps you know Bayern have failed to recruit properly and yeah I, I don't think Kovac can be blamed for that this might be getting carried away but actually you know if Bayern for example wanted to go after and sweep up some some of the top guys from Dortmund I don't think they'd, they'd go anymore actually yeah I think that the 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 current crop at Dortmund looks around and and is actually like well no, I don't really want to. I don't. Really, I want to be here. I don't want to go there. And I think actually you've seen it over the last however long. You know, mm. Goethe, Hummels, Lewandowski, huge players at Dortmund, and yeah. even went and won things at Dortmund and moved to Bayern. And for the first, I mean, I might be proved completely wrong by this, but I can't imagine some of those guys wanting to go to Bayern at the moment. That should be the biggest warning sign for Bayern that something needs to change. You yeah. Know? It's true. It's going to be interesting to see if, if if Bayern do come sniffing around for some of the top stars at um, Dortmund, whether they would move. But I don't think, I think you're right. I don't think they would. Dortmund's the place to be right now. And, you know, it, sadly, that reflects on Kovac quite badly, even though, I mean, I think that the only mistake I would say he's made is freezing out Hamas Rodriguez to the extent that he has. Because this is a guy who was the best player in the Bundesliga for the second half of last season. I mean, he was untouchable, absolutely fantastic. And um, I think Hammers paid the price for an injury that he picked up during the World Cup. And then he didn't play so much of a part during their um, pre-season that um, Niko Kovac was overseeing. And then, yeah, and then he, he decided that Goretzka was his man in that position rather than Hamas Rodriguez. But um, Rodriguez is a proven talent on at the highest level so for me that's a strange one but yeah I think um the tide is certainly turning in 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 um, the Bundesliga and the uh it's it's ebbing away from Bayern exciting times well so that's uh the second pivotal game of review for this podcast Michael thank you so much for joining us thank you we're going to be here next week I'll, I'll be there it's nice to feel what our guests feel usually though it's nice to be on the other side yeah i was, I was just saying to musa that i think if you were sat here you'd be making the wrap it up sign 
<laughs> it's the same as the substitution gesture. <laughs> wrap it up. Uh, but Michael, we will we'll wrap it up there. But um yeah, great to have you on with us again. And yeah, catch you catch you next week then, back in back at Rabona Towers. Thanks a lot, guys. See you soon. Take care, mate. Leaping from Germany across the world to the Super Classico, where Boca Juniors played River Plate in the first leg of the Copa Libertadores, and it was a fantastic game. It was another great game. There were so many games on this weekend that were amazing. I, I, it, do you know what? It actually made them less enjoyable because I had to figure out which ones I wanted to watch live. I disagree. Do you know what it was like? There was a weekend when, like, I think four great rap albums came out. <laughs> all the same week there was do you know those weeks yeah. and they all came out I think it was Tribe Called Quest and Kanye and Jay-Z all dropped at the same time uh-huh. right and it's like that it's like you were just surrounded by this incredible art so I found myself that week just like jumping between them all and this was the same with this you know this 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 weekend of football I'm a big fan of weekends where in theory you don't have to move so that's kind of what this weekend felt like but um yeah the super classical was good it kind of took a it took a little bit of a while before the shithousery kind of kicked in (laughs) do you know what i mean it was um there was that the kind of three goals in the space of a few minutes and then the yellow card and and it was like all right this is this feels like it's really kicked off but obviously it was postponed from the night before because of the pitch the pitch in the stadium were completely waterlogged Mm. It was a good game. I think we're going to probably save the long analysis analysis until the second leg because the thing is, there's no away goals. Right. So even though it was two all, great result for River, but the away goals don't really count in the Copa Libertadores final. So it's basically nil-nil. For those who didn't watch the game as well, it was a real cliffhanger because Carlos Tevez, you know, obviously a Boca legend, came on very late in the game and almost mm. turned it actually. Uh, made a brilliant run, kept his balance after being hacked by a river defender, squares the ball and uh, his teammates was like sort of 10 yards out mm. and the keeper pulls off an outstanding save. But yeah, Armani made a, some great saves. And that one he made, I mean, if you get a chance to watch the highlights of the Boca River game, the late save Armani makes, you might say the keeper, the striker should have hit it differently or wider, but he stays up so long and he goes down mm. so late to save it and, and spreads himself like sort of starfish style. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm maybe, I'm not sure any Boca fans online might be able to tweet us at Rabonamag and let us know, but Pavon, Christian Pavon went off quite early with a hamstring injury, which is a big loss for them. And I, I mean, the, the next leg's in two weeks. I'm not sure Hamstring's if he's going to be yeah. back for that. And I mean, I'd, yeah, that kind of seemed to knock their momentum a little bit. So I'm intrigued to see whether they see that as a as a decent result, going to River with, you know, basically all square or or what. But yeah, it was a great game, really good game. And just, yeah, and rounding off a weekend of really, really good games. So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll cover the the second leg in a little bit more detail after that. So jumping back to Europe, we had some big games in the uh, La Liga um, for my for my money. So we had Real Madrid resurgent against Celta Vigo. They won 4-2. Um, Atletico Madrid, a late win over Bilbao. And Barca losing to Betis. Three really key games, I think. May not seem it, but to give it some context, Real beating Celta in Celta. You know, Atletico lost there. Barca last season failed to win there. And Real last season failed to win there. So that's a big win 
for Real Madrid. Right. Um, Solari looks like he might get the job beyond the end of the season at the moment. Well, I think this, the deadline for him technically to be the interim manager is net. That that game, was, that was the last game. La Liga rules, I think you're allowed a certain amount of time to be the interim manager before the club has to make a decision of whether you are a permanent manager. So I think that game was will be the last game that he takes charge of as interim manager. To be honest, I don't really see them bringing in someone else yet. But yeah, I mean, they've, 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 there's definitely been a shift under Solari. And yeah, yesterday was a big win, especially because Barca losing at home to Betis, which is a strange one because it's surprising, but it's not surprising. So yeah, Betis, after not scoring goals and not conceding goals, have basically, in fact, I tweeted about it last night. Let me, I think they've scored, they've scored seven in their last two. Right. And the concessions weren't that bad. I mean, you know, Leo Messi penalty, beautiful penalty, scored very, very late on, but fundamentally they ran the game. And what I'll say about Barca is Kevin Williams, his Twitter handle is at Kev V Will and super sharp um, commentator on Barcelona Matters says, you know, I think he tweeted, we need a pair of modern fullbacks. And the critique being of Jordi Alba and Sergio Roberto, who were exposed defensively. The challenge also, I think, for Barca was in midfield. Busquets was passing poorly, unfortunately, which is strange by Busquets standards. Arthur wasn't the best, was bypassed and Rakitic got two yellows. Yeah, Rakitic didn't have a great game. I, I mean, I only caught the highlights, admittedly, because there was, I mean, there was an overlap with the Manchester derby and all kinds of other games. There was probably about eight games on at that time. But um, yeah, Barca didn't look great. And as you say, in midfield, they were a little bit, not under the weather, but below they par. They, they weren't knitted together well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But yeah, kind of look, going back to what I was saying before about Betis, the stat was that they've scored seven in their last two and eight in 10 before that. And they conceded six in their last two, nine in 10 before that. So basically they've gone from not conceding and not scoring to conceding loads and scoring loads. They've been playing some really good football this season. They just haven't been able to finish. You know? And there's also no shame in conceding three at Barca, especially when no, Messi scores no, two. No, right. no. Um, Joaquin got his uh, first goal since the Seville derby, the winner in that. So Betis looking good against Barca, who will, get, who will bounce back, of course. Atletico Madrid Bilbao, a 3-2 win for them, which is great because they've been struggling. Atletico Madrid, not necessarily struggling in terms of losing games, but to grind wins out. And this was a big, big one for them because Bilbao are a tough opposition. Yeah, and they were behind as well. Right. That was a big game, big so, win. Uh, a half, a half dead Diego Godin hanging around up front, yeah. who definitely should have been taken off, but then proved that Simeone knew what he was doing. Absolutely. And then um, jumping across to uh, Serie A, yeah. AC losing 2-0 to Juventus, which is not the biggest surprise because Juve are a bit of a steamroller at the moment. Yeah, great goal from Mandzukic. That's a Mandzukic goal. Big header at the back post. Kind of bullied Rodriguez a little air. bit. Yeah. yeah, Rodriguez did not want to be there. It was kind of like he got posterized, you know, like a, <laughs> yeah. an NBA reference. Um, and then, you know, AC Milan had a chance to get back into it. They had a penalty, which took forever to give. I think the actual, it was for handball, but the actual incident happened on... And the 38th minute, and I think the penalty wasn't taken until the 41st. Went to VAR, because uh, Higuain was appealing like an absolute madman. Um, and then he subsequently missed the penalty. Well, did it hit the post or did Chesney save it? Chesney dipped onto the post. Ah, uh, okay. Because in it, real time, it looked like it just hit the post, but the commentator said that Chesney saved it. So I, But I haven't seen the replay. He did, he did. It was actually quite a good penalty. But then, of course, Higuain gets sent off after yeah, two, two yellows. yellows. Yeah. Just going mad at the ref like and he was he was he was fully like yeah. he'd gone um and then Cristiano Ronaldo got the second yeah Juve unbeaten are they won all their games still or did they draw one oh, it's just I can't the, remember it's it's just it's, it's a bit frustrating I mean, you know 
Roma got a good win against Sampdoria, I think. Mm. But yeah, I mean, Inter lost to Atalanta, which has kind of that's a bit of a shame. For because them. it's just hard to look past the Juventus um, machine, isn't it? At this point, yeah. One feature, a new feature we've thrown in this week. Uh, we had a couple of questions from faithful, loyal listeners to our show. There are Bonner mailbags. We've got a couple of questions we'd like to address on the podcast before we move on to the final session. Yeah, we got uh, we threw it out there. If if anyone does want to ask us a question, feel free to tweet us at Rabonamag or you can tweet us individually from Jazz Tahara at Jazz Tahara on Twitter um, he says which players do you see apart from Sancho and Mbappe having the possible X factor from the next generation of talent wow well the obvious one is Phil Foden at Manchester City Angel Gomez at Manchester United but I also think Julian Weigel at Dortmund I think his time is yet to come I think that kind of deep line playmaker role is really terrific and I'm surprised more clubs haven't come in for him because I think he's a huge asset. I think to any club wanting to rebuild really should look at him as someone to structure midfield around. I think he's terrific. So he's one to watch, I would say. I'm going to say Rhys Nelson because I think this year at Hoffenheim will do him the world of good. I mean, he's already scored again at the weekend for Hoffenheim to win the game, actually. Came off the bench again to score a winner. And just like Sancho at Dortmund, he's taken real advantage of being in the Bundesliga. And um, what Jazz says here is the X factor. And he's definitely got that. And I think he's definitely one to watch. Good stuff. Thank you, Jazz. Much appreciated. I've seen you on Twitter a couple of times, so I appreciate you chipping in. We've got another Arsenal question. Is that... Do you want to... Questions are great. It's fine. Okay, Okay, this is from um, at Mash St. Paddy on Twitter. What is the minimum requirement for Emery to be considered to be doing a good job? Wenger at his very worst got to a League Cup final, Europa League semi-final and sixth. Is playing with a renewed vigour but ending outside the top four really enough? Uh, I think top four is absolutely fair. I think Arsenal should be top four from now on Mm. for the foreseeable future. I think it's understandable to have City a bit further ahead and Liverpool to an extent because of squad depth. But I absolutely think Arsenal should be looking at top three or four for the next few years under Emery. I think he's that good. Yeah, I agree. I think I think um, he maybe gets a little bit of leeway this year because it's a new situation. There's been such a huge up- upheaval at the club from, you know, not just losing the manager of 22 years, but f- uh, operational level. But yeah, I mean, if Arsenal aren't back in the Champions League by the end of next season, I think that's when he'll start getting real pressure. I'd now be fair as well, just given, not. I mean, I think he's started well. I think he's slightly ahead of mm. schedule, uh, but right, I think you're right there. On that rousing note, that brings us to the end of this week's review of the action. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find us on all social media platforms at Rabonamag. Tell a friend, tell an enemy, and we'll see you again soon. Ryan, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Pleasure. And, uh, we'll see Michael in person as well as in spirit next time too. Take care. A new year is full of surprises, but one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take care of orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code program.